All right, we are uh, stopping our discussions in Matthew and doing a uh, Thanksgiving service. So uh, I'm going to not do the Q&A after each section, but at the very end like we traditionally have done so that uh, that'll be easier on the, on the recorder guy, right? Uh, there's a rhythm to both Judaism and Christianity that is expressed from day to day, from week to week, month to month, and year to year. It's found in the cycle of prayers, the lectionary readings, uh, the uh, holy days, and the life cycle of the generations. This week we end the Christian lectionary and religious year. This Sunday is the last Sunday of that. The Torah readings of Judaism are already underway. And uh, this week begins the, the new month in the Jewish calendar. This week also includes Thanksgiving, which is in some ways hinged to Sukkot and also has ties to the Hanukkah Christmas season. Thanksgiving is an American holy day and an American holiday. That is, it has both religious overtones and cultural overtones in that context. Maintains two major themes. Gratitude to God for his provision and his sustenance. And family and community relationships as a major American value. These themes are common to Jews and Christians, but are also found among Americans of other religions and those who are secular but have retained some traditional sentiments. Now personally for me, I see Thanksgiving as the beginning of the Advent, Hanukkah, Christmas, Epiphany season, that whole, that whole section. Um, and I see that as beginning the religious year uh, towards the High Holy Days and Sukkot, which become the culmination of that. For me, it's the same as the Lord's Day, which starts the week leading to the Shabbat. So I've decided this year for our message to use the traditional readings from the Book of Common Prayer. And I've entitled the uh, sermon, A National Thanksgiving. Because while we celebrate this week with our families, there is a common gratitude for life, God's provision, and for community that joins us as Americans together. So little ties us to each other in this country anymore, as we are pulled apart by all kinds of things, including radical individualism. But it's important for us to remember this, uh, that we are tied together with a history of a nation that was seen under God with liberty and justice for all. May we walk in such a manner as citizens of this country, and yet citizens of the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at the four passages that are the traditional readings for Thanksgiving uh, in the Book of Common Prayer. They begin in Deuteronomy. There is a psalm, and then there is a gospel reading and an epistle reading. And the reason for that is that that's the traditional way of doing the lectionary in the Christian tradition. To draw from the Tanakh, in that sense, to have a hymn of praise, to state the gospel reading and then a, an epistle reading tied together. And you'll see why they're tied to these themes of thanksgiving. Uh, so I want you to begin with me by turning to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at that entire chapter. I'm going to read it quickly and make some comments. 
I think in many ways the texts themselves almost need no comment reading them. Uh, they, they speak the sermon themselves. Chapter 8 of Deuteronomy says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, nor did your foot swell for forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains, springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. What a great statement. A reminder of what God has done for Israel. And that parallels... Uh, it's important that we not usurp here. This text is primarily to and for Israel. But as we have been brought nearer to God and the blessings of Abraham will, will extend also to us, there is incredible teaching here of God providing and blessing. Then he says in verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." He led you through a great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. And he brought you water out of the rock. In the wilderness he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And it shall come that if you ever forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. 
This passage, really, really important. Uh, as I said, directly to Israel and historically to them. Do not want to take away from any of that. But the lesson is helpful to us as well. It's the Lord who watches over us. It is the Lord who gives us blessings and benefits in our lives. Even the difficulties that we experience are testing us and bring us to humility. Because there is always a danger in prosperity to forget the one who provides. And to think that we have done these things ourselves, or that we have earned them by our merit, we are recipients of God's grace and his benevolence. And we should always be thankful for his goodness to us and to our nation. Arrogance individually or as a people is an affront to God and will not go unpunished. We remember this week the provision and the goodness of the Lord with humble gratitude. Now, I want you to know something. There is a danger to think that what we do is we just wait till Thanksgiving and then we give thanks. The reality is we should be thankful every day. We have nothing that was not given to us. Our life, everything that we have the ability to do is given to us by God. So the scripture says, why do you boast as if it was not given to you? I have found that one of the secrets to life is to not expect much. And then I'm usually surprised by the abundance that's there. But I have friends who have very high expectations. And they spend most of their time griping because a few of those things didn't happen. So there is a humility and a gratitude that we should have as believers, particularly in this land of plenty. So it's important that this week, as we think about this, that we reinforce that. These holy days are there to remind us of the things that we've let fall off the wagon that we've been pulling along the year. Now, our next text is from Psalm 65. And that was read at the beginning of the... Uh, service, uh, so I want to just look at it briefly. Speaking to God, there will be silence before you and praise in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be performed. You who hear prayer, to you all men come. Iniquities prevail against me as for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you. And I'm reminded that we, as Gentiles, were away from God, without God and without hope in the world, and we also have been brought near. To dwell in your courts, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. And we long for that temple that Ezekiel talks of, uh, but we know that we are, at the present time, all believers of Israel and of the nations are living stones built together as a temple to offer praise and thanksgiving and offering to the Lord and to become the body of the Messiah to minister to the world. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. Who established the mountains by his strength, being girded with might. Who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. 
They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The streams of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. Your water, its furrows abundantly. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Now this verse is nothing more than poetry. Or the living God is involved in every sunrise. And every sunset. And every plant that blooms. And every fruit that is born. And every animal that is... God is either in his creation bringing it. Because there is no life in the creation. He gives it life. I think we forget that. We're so secularized. That we have a tendency to think that this stuff happens automatically. It happens by the will and the word of God. We we live by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it was God who spoke all of these things into existence and upholds them by the might of his own power. Really important for us to remember that. It's easy to begin to think that everything's just going to be the way it was yesterday because it's uniform and it's material reality. But those things are in place by the word of God and maintain their place by the word of God. And we should be thankful and grateful whenever we see that. That's practicing the presence of the Lord. Our third passage comes from Matthew chapter 6. A very familiar passage. Begins at verse 25. You can see how those who put these texts together for our historical reading wanted to convey this message and remind us of the Lord. So here we have the words of Jesus. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for the body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? You can take an hour away by worry. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, was clothed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, notice the presence of God in all of nature. God is not nature, but nature cannot function without the Lord. Which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you, O short-sighted ones, ye of little faith? 
Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This familiar passage calls us back to the priority of the kingdom. We are not to make our lives about food and about clothing and the worries of this life. That's the way of men who do not know the Lord. But we know him, and we know our Father knows what we have need of, and he will provide. We are to seek the kingdom of God as the first priority, and our trust that he will take care of these temporal things. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that the gift of God is to eat and to drink and to enjoy the labor of your hands. And the context of that is because they don't matter. I mean, you can eat, you can drink, and you can do things, and all of that is temporal. So the gift of God is to know it's temporal, to have eternal perspective, and then be able to sit down and enjoy the food and the drink instead of worrying. To enjoy the labor of your hands instead of worrying. And to realize that underneath are the everlasting arms. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We're supposed to rejoice in whatever we can each day. Because most of the day is not joyful. And when we put our eyes on the problems and the worries and borrow the trouble from down the road, we miss that little joy of today. And there's not that much. We don't have enough joy to lose it with our eyes off the, off the ball. So, the final reading of the text for Thanksgiving is James chapter 1. And it picks up at verse 17. James 1.17 says, Every good thing is given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. I've got great is thy faithfulness screaming through my ears. If you know that hymn, it's hard not to, right? He then says, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might, would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You know those are words that describe God. We are to be like our father. We tend to be like ourselves. Because the anger of man. Does not achieve. The righteousness of God. I watched that in the home I grew up in. I've struggled with that in my own life. 
I've watched people think they're righteously indignant. They're just angry. And it doesn't work the righteousness of God. There is something about waiting, stopping, slow to anger, slow to speak, that gives us time to focus on eternal things. So he says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Boy, I always was taught that as soon as you came to the Lord, everything was gone and everything was new. And that simply wasn't my testimony. There were things that remained that had to be put away, that had to be put down. Just like Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child when I became a man. I put away childish things. Have to put away temporal things. Have to put away those old things. And then in humility, receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But the receiving of the word doesn't stop there. This is not lay away believing. You know, I said the magic words, and now I'm waiting for the rapture. That's not, that's not this faith. But demonstrate yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And that gets worse with age. I used to look at the mirror, and then I was pretty much done. Now I look at the mirror, and I start to walk away and say, did I see something? And I go back and look. And I go, did I? Was that? You know, I don't know about you, but that's, that's part of the process. So I spend a lot of time looking at the mirror. But if you don't do anything, yep, that thing is still hanging there. I, and you don't do anything, you're a, you're a hearer and not a doer, right? He says, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. Do you know the Torah is called the Torah of liberty? It's not a Torah of bondage. The word in Hebrew for liberty is Herut. The word for carved with a finger of stone carved is Karut. So the rabbis talked about I, I agree. It is not a separate law that came with the Messiah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That is great stuff. Now, here's the deal, and I've said it before. If you do not like the commandments of God, 
you're going to hate the kingdom. Because the new covenant says, I will write my commandments in their hearts. They're not different commandments. You're, he's changing the heart so it can be done from the heart. And therefore, it frees the heart from the bondage of sin and shame and death. That, my friends, is a law of liberty. And that's what we await in the resurrection. So he says, that one who abides by that, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This way of life has been provided for us. God's word gives us his will. Uh, We must know it. We must do it. It brings in us a true religion, a true way of walking, uh, a halakha, which is both holy in that it separates us from the world and from the culture, and is righteous in that it causes us to do good for others, the strong bearing the infirmity of the weak, And the care of the widows and the orphans and the poor. And those who need the blessings that we have shared. And so, uh, these passages are the essence of the National Day of Thanksgiving. And as we gather as family and friends, we need to remember all that has been given to us by God. Not because we deserve it, and not through our own doing. But we need to humble ourselves in gratitude for his provision. And let us praise him that he maintains the earth and its provision for us. I have been pretty good at thanking God for rainbows when I see them. Because I know what he says they mean. And I've been pretty good when I see the sunset at Shabbat. And we have such a beautiful view from our house uh, to talk about that. But the truth is... The sun rises and the sun sets every day are the glory and the wonder of the Lord. And we should thank Him and praise Him as we see those things. I'll remind you once again of the experience I had at First Baptist Westminster. I used to come to the little McDonald's near the church to look over my notes and read commentaries. I used to read commentaries because they irritated me enough to preach with more uh, um, energy. Uh, And one day I was sitting there thinking about a song from uh, my teen and 20 years where they uh, paved paradise and put up a parking lot. And I was looking at the parking lot and uh, there were these birds uh, jumping on my car and eating out of the ketchup containers and the fries that had been dropped in the parking lot. And I thought, even when they covered it up, God has taken care of the birds. But these birds were not eating what they should have, and so they were pretty fat. And so we were supposed to sing, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I came back in the congregation, stood, and we sang, His eye is on the fat birds, and I know he watches me. There are examples in in the creation, every day for us to look to see the glory of the Lord. Or we can look at the trouble and borrow the trouble and miss the joy. 
But God says we will experience these things he's provided and we will rejoice and thank him for them. That should be the humble gratitude that's in our hearts. Not just this Thursday, but every day when we awake in God's creation. This is, after all, our Father's world. Let's pray.